Hello all and welcome to Bring Your Own Chair, a CX Accelerator podcast. This unique resource is all about you, the CX professional who is out there navigating your career journey. We've got so many incredible people in this community who care deeply about equipping the next generation of CX leaders, and we are bringing them to you. Whether you're looking for encouragement, but there's no more important time than now to learn the skills, the talent, get the advice and mentorship you need to be able to demonstrate your ROI. Equipping. How do you develop your frontline supervisors so that they really are focused on results and relationships or connection. And I loved it, as crazy as that is, but I only loved it because I had support from the community. We've got a space for you at this table. So grab your chair and let's welcome our host, Sally Mildren. Hey, welcome to Bring Your Own Chair, a podcast for the CX Accelerator community. Designed to help empower you, strengthen you, and inform and challenge you regardless of where you are on your CX professional journey. Today, we are so excited. We have an awesome session for you. It's Mary Carter, who is the managing partner and senior vice president of business transformation for ICF Next. And ICF Next works across all kinds of industries from consumer goods to healthcare. ICF Next is amazing. I've worked with them personally in previous roles where they come with super effective and strategic business consulting, integrated marketing. They are experts at customer experience, which is where I really am excited to dive in today. And they have a whole division of analytics, which I just read their latest report. It is awesome. We'll be talking about that in another episode with Mary, but we are excited to have you here today. Thank you, Mary. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love talking about customer experience, which will probably become evident as we continue the conversation. And it's true. We do a ton of work for clients across industries. Personally, I've done a lot of work in healthcare, and I love talking about ways to improve customer experience. And that's a place that's near and dear to my heart. And the topic is near and dear to my heart because I think there's always ways to improve and people are always changing their expectations. And so organizations, brands, companies, even internally, you can do experience work for your own team members. You always need to keep that top of mind and figure out ways to raise the bar. So good. And I think that that is so vital in today's workforce that expectations are changing. If the last three years have taught us anything, it's that nothing stays the same. That's absolutely right. (laughs) The consumer and the people that we're trying to work alongside and work for are different as well, which is why we're so excited today to dive into the topic of how to make a case for customer experience. You know, inside the CX Accelerator, which is a nonprofit Slack community, there's thousands and thousands of CX professionals from every industry all over the world. And the one of the most common threads that we see in the discussion groups is around this idea of, I don't know how to demonstrate value from the work I'm doing. And earlier this year, we had chatted about a Forrester study that came out saying that more than 60% of individuals don't know how to demonstrate value 
for their CX program. And they went on to predict that many of those positions are at risk in the future. And so it's kind of interesting to see those stats. I think it has been a topic that has plagued the industry for a long time, but I'd love to hear from you when we're talking about making a case for CX, what do you think are the most common things that you see are skipped over? Or Mm -hmm. maybe you see this with several clients that this thing is the most important. What would you say to a new CX person? Yeah, absolutely. Good topic and kind of crazy stats in terms of making the case and demonstrating the value of the work. And I think just some of the reasons for that is often that customer experience work and more importantly, maybe even as customer experience improvements usually require collaboration across multiple teams within an organization. Right. So when everybody owns a part of customer experience, everybody owns it, then who really owns it? And that becomes almost a roadblock right off the bat. So Mm -hmm. keeping that in mind, I think finding a sponsor and Mm -hmm. gathering a team that is cross-functional, but that is bought in is important. So how do you get that buy-in is really what you're asking. And I would say that you have to build a burning platform. And you can build a burning platform when you can, oftentimes in a way using analytics to demonstrate the potential value of the work. Mm -hmm. And it's not just doing journey mapping for journey mapping's sake or, you know, developing an understanding of the experience without actually taking action. And so there are some, in addition to the stat you mentioned, there's some astounding stats out there, but often, and one that I love to quote is even a single point improvement in customer satisfaction can correlate to 2% revenue growth for a company. There was a study out there that a set of companies who had engaged in CX work versus a set of companies who hadn't, when improvements are made, you can actually see more rapid revenue growth. So I think that in and of itself is a helpful kind of burning platform stat to just have in your arsenal. But then specific to your own company or, you know, when we work with clients, we're always talking to them up front about where are the places where you think the customer experience might be breaking down and even taking a few of those modeling. And it can be a pretty straightforward model, even just using customer lifetime value, Mm -hmm. what impact a few actions could take starts to build a case and kind of pay for itself, make a case for the work. Now, Sally, you also asked, what are some of the steps that are sometimes ignored in getting this work off the ground? And I think one of them, in addition to having that sponsor, make creating the burning platform and sharing that is just also making sure that communication is there across the full set of stakeholder groups. And also that you don't assume everything, but you actually talk to your customers. And those customers may be consumers, they may be internal if you're trying to do an experience improvement with your own internal teams. But I think making sure that there is a research and an insight-based foundation to the work will help you continue to make the case for ongoing work and investment. In many industries, people will say, well, this isn't new. We've been engaging in customer experience activities for some time. And that's great, actually. That's a wonderful thing to hear. 
But with all the changes going on in the world, in a consumer's day to day life or a stakeholders, there's always that opportunity to revisit and continuously improve. And that's, I think, also part of the opportunity. That's awesome. There's a lot to unpack there. But one of the basics for us, because we have people who are brand new to CX and those some who've been in it for decades. Mm -hmm. What what is lifetime value and how do you calculate that? I see that in our work as well with industries and agencies and businesses and healthcare entities that they haven't taken that discipline to figure out the revenue value and the study you quoted. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of traction in an organization until you can demonstrate the bottom line of what this is going to produce for the company. And so how do we start with lifetime value? Absolutely true. And I think sometimes people start to hear that and they think it's a really elaborate, you know, multivariable equation. And it really kind of boils down to a couple of key components. Customer lifetime value is customer value times the average customer lifespan. So at the end of the day, start there and say, okay, how long do we usually keep our customers? And depending on the type of product or service, you know, have a sense of what those metrics should be, have a baseline, because in some cases it might be a multi-year type of lifespan and that's common. In other cases, it might be a, you know, two week lifespan and customers are constantly changing. But over time, you're wanting to make sure that you're keeping those customers, that you understand what their typical lifespan is. How long do they stay with you and stay purchasing with you? And then that customer value piece is this, a little bit more enigmatic, perhaps, but that's really average purchase value times the average number of purchases for that customer over that lifetime. So if you think about that, those are the two components and that's really the foundation. And I would also recommend because sometimes there can be a little bit of discussion or debate about that. So yeah. work with your analytics partners or work with some, even a subset of data that you have for maybe a specific customer segment, make sure there is a common understanding of customer lifetime value within your organization. And you may need to invest in building that across some of your peers or stakeholders but use that then to say, look, when we engage in improvements in these three areas, we think we can pull a lever that will help us increase lifespan. That increases customer value. Or we think we can make some changes here to make sure that we're attracting and retaining our highest value customers who are perhaps making purchases in a certain segment of our product set. Again, that's a perfect other place that you can start to pull levers that help increase that customer lifetime value. That's so great. I love that. And I know when we worked together at a health insurer, the the actions that we took to help improve retention, for instance, resulted in millions of dollars, more money, because it's no good to bring them all in if they're just going Walking straight right out the door, <laughs> losing the next guy out the back door. And that was the case. We yeah. had this great growth trajectory because we were getting so many new members yes. to health insurance. It was at the time of expanded Medicaid and all of that. And so it was kind of hidden. Yeah. You didn't really notice how many were leaving out the back door until the growth stalled. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of the executives are wanting to know what happened. And so it's a, it's a really good discipline 
before there's an issue, it's even better. Right. <laughs> but it's a good discipline to figure out what is the value of a customer, whether it's a SaaS download or in this case, a membership kind of thing. It's really important. And so I love that description of it. Thank you very much for that. Absolutely. You know, insurance is an interesting one too, because it's not a, it's not a transactional purchase. It is a relationship that someone starts with mm -hmm. uh, their healthcare insurer over time. And that one was a trickier lifetime value equation as well, because we didn't want to just count premium because a lot of that premium goes to the cost of care. So in that case, we tweaked the approach in terms of defining lifetime value to look at margins over a period of time for right. those customers. And I just bring that up because again, you may have an opportunity, the listeners here today to, to say what makes sense for our business? How are we going to track right. that value and define that? Sure. That's, that's a really great point too, because it would be easy to say, well, this download costs $49, but if your cost on it is 40, your margin is yeah. only nine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so that's a great point. That's awesome. Thank you. So for the people who are listening that maybe don't have this huge analytical team, mm -hmm. there's a lot of kind of smaller and medium-ish businesses. There are a lot of huge global companies and folks who do have big analytic teams. Where would you recommend that they go to find this kind of info within their organization or how, you know, that and... You talk about identifying some things that maybe aren't working. Where mm -hmm. do you think that they would begin to uncover where there are friction points or gaps in the experience to try those low-hanging fruit projects? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question. And you're mm -hmm. right. Not everyone has a big analytics team that's tracking everything. And that's maybe part of the opportunity. I always recommend, first of all, you're oftentimes a company's team members who are closest to the customer have a wealth of insights and information and ideas. And sometimes they don't always have the megaphone to share those. And so if you are embarking on making that case, as is the subject of our discussion, mm -hmm. I recommend starting with some of those individuals who are closest to your customers. That could be people in a call center who are taking calls that are oftentimes complaints or issues that a customer is calling about your in-store personnel. If you're in the retail business or, you know, front of house and hospitality, right? Try to have even some direct conversations with some of those individuals because you will get a lay of the land pretty quickly. And mm -hmm. that may, may even be, like I said, one-on-ones. It can also be some a few internal focus groups just to kind of hear what is coming up. What are, you know, oftentimes at a minimum, if there is a call center, mm -hmm. there's a lot of data that is collected in that call center. There's a lot of information about maybe what some abrasion points are. So those are good places to start. If those pieces aren't in place, I would recommend then going out and talking to the customers and setting up a short study. It doesn't have to cover your entire customer base to start off with, but you have to start somewhere and you have to make sure that that voice of the customer is being pulled through. And so right. find a path to that voice and understanding what some of the issues are that, that those voices are sharing when they're in touch directly as well. That's so good. I love that. I, re I remember distinctly at one point in my career, a CEO telling me, 
because I was also over marketing that any feedback on social media didn't count. And I'm like, gosh. And so we were not, you know, in his opinion, that was anecdotal. And I'm like, those are the exact direct words of a customer. And so, you know, we do with our work, we'll look at reviews. We'll look at social media feedback. We will look at comments online, that sort of thing. And I think there are some amazing pieces of technology that are integrating AI that can, like in a call center, it can say, oh, the sentiment of this call is turning negative. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. and it will pull out these emotional terms and be yeah. able to trigger for the whole team. But in our case, we weren't so sophisticated, but right. when you're well, seeing 19 likes on a complaint on Facebook, that it may be as simple as knowing, oh, this is some customer feedback. <laughs> this is a signal. I'm so glad you brought up social media. I'm remiss in not bringing it up myself. Like, I think that there's a wealth of information there. There's whole fields of study on social listening and sentiment analysis. And I think that is a great source as well and a way to see and, and hear kind of exactly what customers and stakeholders are saying and then who's reacting to that. And I think it's a great starting point. You know, I think it's one of many components that ultimately help build the story of really what is happening. And I think that that's a a wonderful place to start. That's great. It's, it's interesting because I mean, you can go in a rabbit hole easy with a Reddit or the Quora or, you know, some of these online discussion groups can get a little woo. But I think to your point, it's one of a body of input, especially now that social media feels a little more combative than it maybe used to be for brands. It's it's one input, but I don't think it's fair to ignore it because there are in the mix people that that's their channel of feedback. So I love that. It's terrific. So why, why do you think when we're making a case, we found the burning platform, which is maybe retention or fixing this issue, then what advice would you give to professionals to begin to get cross collaboration across the organization? Do you do that first and then present? Do you present, get approval, do you then get the collaboration? What are some of the ways you've seen that work well for organizations? I might have to give a classic consultant's answer answer in which it depends. I will say I've seen it both ways, Sally. And and that is often a function of perhaps where an organization is on their customer experience journey, their kind of maturity model, or is it very early? Everyone thinks they know it, but there's no foundation that's data backed or Perhaps a company has already spent a lot of time and invested in the space, but maybe wondering, what are we seeing from this? You know, I am a proponent of getting at least a a small kind of SWAT team that represents the core functional areas of an organization up front earlier, I think is better than later, because these are the individuals or their teams who are ultimately going to hopefully want, but definitely need to make changes in order to actually address some Mm -hmm. of what the customer experience work uncovers as pain points or moments that matter for customers that are perhaps missed opportunities or opportunities to change. And so 
generally speaking, at least having representatives that even if it's just a single person, but they have insight into the area, it doesn't have to be the most senior person. Oftentimes, it could be someone, like I said, who's closer to the stakeholders and customers. Yeah. Having that team, because they can also guide the work. They right. can really provide some insights and recommendations in moving the work forward. And they can also be change agents, both in doing some of the work that it takes to uncover the areas of opportunity. And then they will also be very instrumental in brainstorming solutions, working with their teams to implement solutions, and also sharing information of, hey, we learned this through our customer experience research or to whatever degree that research was done. We've made these changes. This is working or early warning. This is not working and getting some input and collaboration then in, in changing course, which sometimes happens as well. I love the point of not necessarily the highest officer because often it's the people managers, that middle management that has the best view of yeah. both the employee experience and the customer experience. And so I think it's interesting to have brought that up because in projects where I tried to work with only the VPs or senior VPs or whatever, there's, there is by default <laughs> from overload, there's not as efficient streams of communication. Yep. And I think that in the cases where I've had the best buy-in across an organization, it was taking in that manager or director level that really had a good pulse on the organizational unit, mm -hmm. which is appropriate for that level that, you know, the big cheese shouldn't know all the details in the weeds. So, yeah. so that was a good point. I love that. Have you ever seen where, how important or vital would you say the employee experience piece is in collaboration with making and leading change for the customers? I say instrumental, a critical. And that's one where oftentimes I would say maybe more so pre-pandemic. And I think things are changing post-pandemic. There used to be, you know, there's this uphill perhaps battle in some organizations to get that investment, to create the burning platform to make yeah. the case, as we've been discussing. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself can be a significant investment, depending on how far an organization wants to go or start. But what we uncover time and time again in doing the initial CX work is that that employee experience is so critical and so yeah. impactful to the end customer or target stakeholders experience. And by default, it's almost included no matter what, because if, for example, in the case of a call center, I'll use that example. We had one client where calls were coming in and a call center representative had to go to like seven different screens to try to figure out the answer, summarize what they just saw on those seven screens and get back to an inbound call. That employee's experience is making the wait times longer when someone calls in, which causes frustration. By the time they get through those seven screens, they're also frustrated. Maybe their tone or approach isn't as optimal as it could be by the time they have figured it out and on down the line. And that's just a small example, but it's an important one because they're inextricably linked. And so 
I say investment in employee experience is investment in customer experience. Sure. That is absolutely worth it. And it's absolutely impactful to what happens with those stakeholders that you're trying to reach or retain or impact in some way. That's so good. And I think you can't overlook the employee experience as part of that burning platform, especially right. now in today's workforce and the competitive hiring and yes. <laughs> understaffed and particularly in healthcare. I mean, every, right. there's burnout so bad that making that part of your burning platform, I think is a really wise approach. Yeah. You know, I gave the call center example, but you bring up a good one as well. An excellent one in that if you have an issue with employee retention mm-hmm. and you are constantly putting folks who are in essence, learning on the job in some ways, oftentimes mm-hmm. in front of your customers and your key stakeholders, and perhaps it's taking more time or it's taking multiple follow-ups, whereas a customer's expectation is one and done, you know, that has a price that has an impact. And so right. thinking about the ways to keep your own team members and employees engaged and satisfied will only you know, like we've been discussing, help that and customers experience as well, because they're building experience that contributes to an increasingly improved experience overall. Right. And I know in some of the work I did over the call center, when we took all of the measurement instruments of the customer satisfaction and the provider satisfaction and employee satisfaction, and we correlated all those measures there were some that almost correlated at one. We found that was exactly the case. We helped create the single source of truth for all, not just the call center, every employee in the entire organization. I was only over about 25% of the staff. Mm-hmm. The rest were in clinical areas and other things, but we created a solution that made everybody's job easier. It made sure we all were giving the same information to employees. And that act of shoring up the employee experience reduced our turnover, mm-hmm. increased employee satisfaction and engagement by 37% in two years. An incredible feat in and of itself, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and no surprise, then also you saw the patient and member and the provider things raise as well. And I think that, I think that example is really helpful because it's how I got the buy-in of the leaders over case management of the leaders over finance of the leaders over outreach or whatever is because they began to see, Oh, this makes their job easier. Absolutely. Look, the, I, I'll never forget the vice president of care management coming and saying, I think you might know the data about my area more than I do. And it was just because we were trying so hard to dive in and understand. And it's so easy to get myopic and do, this is my job and I do my job in this cylinder mm-hmm. here. But I feel like the shifts we're seeing, not only from articles of what kind of leaders organizations need in today's world to what our employees looking for, to what our customers looking for. I feel like it all kind of boils back down around the human experience inside and out. Those are the most successful businesses 
I think that's absolutely true. It's interesting you bring that up. A colleague, Denise Holt, and I hmm. just recently wrote a thought leadership piece, but one of the things we were commenting on is the fact that, <clears throat> at least in certain organizations, we're seeing the role of chief people officer being also a chief experience officer. Those are two mightily important roles to play. And I might argue are the roles of multiple individuals. And of course they are. But I think that's a signal of the bringing together of these focus areas, because as you say, ultimately it's the human experience. And so they're just interconnected. And the more that an organization understands that and invests and has that way of thinking, I think the more ROI they see from some of the investments they make in these types of initiatives. Right. Well, this podcast is called Bring Your Own Chair, and it's for a reason. It's a quote attributed to Shirley Chisholm, who was an African-American woman, a representative. She actually ran for president in the 70s. She's got an amazing storied career, was a total advocate for underrepresented and lower economic and immigrants and that in her work, passionate about it. And her, her quote was, if they won't give you a seat at the table, bring your own chair. And so that. In her spirit of wanting to represent and really ensure there's representation and to not sit and wait for an invite because although CX has been around a long time, a lot of organizations just are kind of dabbling in it still. And mm -hmm. there's the, the individuals in our community are saying, they don't listen to me, they don't respect me. And I feel like today's topic is vital for them. I agree. How do you make the case for CX? And in some of the conversations I've had, I, I almost hear a us versus them kind of mm -hmm. undertone with these young leaders in CX. What would you say to new CX leaders who are just learning how to present this information? Do you have, what advice do you have for them on how, maybe how to approach it or just any of your thoughts about what you've seen work really well, or maybe not so well? <laughs> Oh, I love that question. And I, and I love that quote as well. I'm so glad you shared it. I think that it is important. So when you are in the field of customer experience, and perhaps you studied that at university or in grad school, you are immersed in the topic, like we are, Sally, on this call. Yeah. And you are thinking, how in the world could anyone not understand that this is critical to... Right reaching our business objectives, to keeping our team members engaged, to keeping our customers for longer than they may have otherwise stayed with us because we are delivering an exceptional experience and we're going at least to meet, if not exceed our customers' expectations. So kind of keep that in mind. You as a customer experience professional, whether you're new to your current role or you're in the field, you are probably one of the most immersed in the topic within your organization. Mm -hmm. And so avoid making assumptions with that in mind and assume perhaps the opposite of some of the stakeholders or project sponsors or even executive sponsors that you're seeking and, and start with insights 
It could be insights that you've gathered. We talked about that at the top of this discussion. It could be case study examples. There are countless great case studies out there where an organization tells their tale of starting from a certain point and reaching another point and what was in between was that investment in CX and the type of return. So I use that to just say kind of, yes, sharing the importance of this critical, absolutely. But I think using storytelling, using data and insights will help you get there farther, faster than perhaps, you know, academic ways of explaining it or even say saying this is obvious or making an assumption that someone perhaps is on the same page as you are from the start. I think that's a big, big part of it. And I do think that identifying a couple of executive sponsors is important. And so try to identify who those executive sponsors might be. And I would actually advocate for them if your organization does have a chief experience officer, absolutely, they would be a sponsor. But find some sponsors outside of the experience or the marketing discipline where oftentimes this work tends to be sponsored from. Find some sponsors who are critically immersed or you can maybe convince to be critically immersed in this work as well. It might be the CIO. You know, there's a lot of digital experience work. Sometimes that sits within the CIO's organization. Sometimes it sits within a chief digital officer, but find some of those organizations or or parts of your company that you can enlist to be part of the effort. That's so great. I love that. So in the spirit of what you just said, what are some of your favorite sources or resources for case studies or information or whatever? Yeah, you know, I I always think that some of the analyst organizations out there have some excellent ones, Forrester mm-hmm. and Gartner. Mm-hmm. I will say professional services firms like our like my own company, but there there are countless others out there who do work in the CX space often share their case studies online. Mm -hmm. And so whereas some are paid subscription types of sources that I mentioned early on, if you go to an icfnext.com, you know, an icf.com type website or professional services organization and look for their thought leadership in Mm -hmm. the space, you will get a wealth of information and stories to tell. I also, I'm a big fan of Harvard Business Review, and I'm a subscriber there, and they have some wonderful stories to tell as well, often involving case studies and other research studies. So those are a few, but, you know, I think that even this very platform that we're speaking on today, like wealth of information here, and it's it's making use of that information and tapping into it. And then there's some wonderful CX communities also that you can speak to a couple of colleagues and get a case study from their own organization. And it might be a wonderful one to share within your own. That's awesome. I appreciate that. So I know that we want to have another session so you can stay tuned. And ICF Next has just written this study, (laughs) Sparking Consumer Participation Through Shared Values and Beliefs. I'm very excited about that conversation. And I think inside the context of the Surgeon General of the U.S.'s new study, the 82-page report that was released a couple weeks ago about the health crisis of isolation and loneliness in the U.S. And I feel like now is such an important time for CX folks and for brands to really identify what role can we play 
in helping create a connection and a community for our customers, not just transact with them. You're right. Create that space. So I'm really excited about that conversation, giving a little nugget of what we want to chat about next. But any last parting words or thoughts or inspirations for our audience? Oh, I love this conversation, Sally. I think you and I could probably talk about these topics for days on end. You know, my biggest piece of advice is start somewhere. And it doesn't have to be conquering the entire world of opportunity, of which there is an entire world of opportunity. But to get somewhere is an accomplishment. And you can get somewhere when you start somewhere. So that would be something that I would recommend is even identifying a couple of areas, Mm -hmm. making some changes that address those opportunity areas and tracking what the impact is will take you places and it'll open up more doors and other opportunities. So I think that's my, my word of wisdom perhaps. And it's a, it's a pretty simple one, but it works. I think it's terrific. I appreciate it so much, Mary. Thank you for being with us. And we look forward to having you back again, but if you loved this information and want to check out Mary, where can they find you online? I think that people can go even just to LinkedIn. I am a very engaged LinkedIn user. And I would say go there, reach out to me directly if you'd like. And then of course, ICF.com, there's a wealth of information that's available there. And I look forward to hearing from folks. I'm always happy to talk about CX. Awesome. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes as well. And we thank you for being here. We're so grateful. This episode of Bring Your Own Chair is great for CX pros who are doing the work and trying to take CX even further. I loved the social media section as well as the tips on storytelling and cross-collaboration. There are also some good tips for people trying to justify CX to executives too. Thank you, Mary and Sally, for sharing your insights and connecting this community once more. Thank you for joining Bring Your Own Chair, a CX Accelerator podcast. Make sure you get involved with the CX Accelerator community at cxaccelerator.com. Consider recommending this episode or podcast to someone in your network and give them a seat at the table.